Welcome back to iGen Politics. This is a podcast that makes politics engaging and relevant for all generations. This is Victor Shee. And I'm Jill Wine Banks. And today's pin, today's Jill's pin, is a check mark, which is a pin I got when I got verified on Twitter. And that's the subject of our show today. So ever since Elon Musk took over Twitter, uh, the platform has been this has not been the same. He's claimed that under his version of Twitter, free speech would be top priority. But at what cost? Uh, because of Elon Musk, accounts that have pretended to be Elon have been banned, including uh, one of our friends, uh, Kathy Griffin, uh, Donald Trump and other dangerous accounts that have been promoting conspiracy theories and lies have been reinstated. Um, comments and content that have appeared to have gotten more vicious than ever before. And employees have not only expressed deep satisfaction, but they've either left en masse after Elon's threatening communication that they had to work extra hours or they've been fired by Elon himself. Uh, as a result, I think the question that I and um, a lot of our audience members have is what is the future of Twitter? Will it survive? It's to Twitter. Yeah, I'm particularly interested in what are the alternatives because I know on my feed, I'm starting to see a lot more hate stuff and that's not good. But today we have someone with us who will really help us answer those questions. She has covered Twitter and other platforms extensively. Taylor Lorenz is our guest. She is currently the uh, tech reporter for the Washington Post before joining the Post and that is the Washington Post, not the other post that we'll be talking about. She was a technology reporter for the New York Times business section. And previously, she was a technology reporter for the Atlantic and the Daily uh, Beast. So we're really happy to have you with us, Taylor. Glad that you're here. And thank you for joining us. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. It's so great to have you here. And, and we actually met at Kathy's house. So it's, it's, Great to see you again, and I know that our friend has had some interesting experiences on Twitter lately. Um, let's start with this whole Twitter debacle. Have you talked to anyone at Twitter about how they felt uh, after Elon took over or before it happened? Yeah, well, I talked to a lot of people at Twitter before it happened um, and people who were there you know, for the initial part. Um, I was actually telling my editor recently, I think almost pretty much almost every source I have has been laid off. There's not very many people wow. left the company. Um, there's only two people that I know that are still there. Um, so it's, it's been, you know, it's been a bloodbath. They've, they've fired just mass teams. There's not even a communications team to go to for comment these days. Um, so yeah, it's a mess. I mean, people are not happy. <laughs> most people that are there, I mean, a lot, well, not most, we don't know, but a lot of people that are there are there because they're you know, they need the health care or they're on a visa that requires them to work. You know, a lot, a lot of people are not there of their own free will. So let me ask you a question from an HR point of view. These firings, um, there's been some question about the legality of them, but there are so many concerning things about Elon Musk's handling of the takeover of Twitter um, and how he's changing it. But let's, let's start with that HR question about, is anybody suing him for having been let go improperly? Are there any strategies to his firing? Is he letting particular groups go? Is he picking on certain people? Is he just going for numbers? What's what's his thinking? 
Well, <laughs> hard to know Elon's thinking. I mean, he's eliminated all teams focused on things like child sexual abuse material, like limiting mm -hmm. that, um, trust and safety, disinformation, communications, uh, all of marketing. Um, I mean, just a lot of roles. And and then he has, you know, he pretends like he's really focused on sort of engineering, but then he's let go a lot of some of the best engineers and product people in the business um, because, you know, they weren't sufficiently loyal to him. Um, and you know, Jill, in terms of the legality of the firings, I think we'll we'll see how it all plays out in the next few mm -hmm. months. Very debatable um, whether or not he's doing, you know, what he's doing is legal. I think he didn't even realize that he can't just blanket fire people in Europe the same way that you can here in the States. So that's causing him a headache already. Um, he's he's firing engineers under the guise of code review, but it's, it's nonsensical. I mean, everyone in the engineering and product world just thinks it's, it's arbitrary, basically, whether or not he thinks... Yeah. Wow. Anyway. Wow. Well, he's he's also said that he wanted to do certain things with the platform itself in terms of adding, for example, new features. I haven't followed this closely enough to know, so I'm hoping that you can help me and our audience understand what were the improvements in features that he promised, and has he done any of those things? No, he's not done anything um, because he doesn't have any staff to do that. You know, he's laid off everyone that could do things. So some stuff you're seeing um, is the work of previous teams. Um, for instance, a bunch of hashtags were recently removed for uh, surrounding child sexual abuse. Um, that was actually the work of a team that he laid off. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, there's in terms of features, the main thing he's teased is monetized video. Um, that's something that Twitter you know, Twitter was already kind of exploring different video and monetization options, but um, it's it's certainly not rolled out. And I think it's going to be a huge headache when it does roll out um, because he's laid off everyone on trust and safety pretty much. Right. And of course, the other thing he tried was charging people to be verified, making verification right. a totally meaningless thing. Um, yeah, you may notice is. I'm wearing a check mark because I got that pin when I got verified at a time when it actually meant something. Now, I don't know whether it does or not. It so, just means it's paid. Yeah. Well, I, no, I, I haven't paid. And I thought he dropped that. Did he not drop the paid um, thing? It hasn't rolled out. No, so it hasn't rolled out yet. Actually, I think today, November 29th is the date that he said it would be rolling out. Um, oh. But there are, obviously there's so many, he, you know, as we realize mm. this is a huge disaster. So it hasn't, his new program hasn't rolled out yet. It started. You can pay to get, you could pay to get a check mark, but everything's on pause right now. Oh, God. So uh, what were the good features that he promised? Were there anything that he said that you thought, oh, well, that would make Twitter better? Um, I don't know, because he's so erratic in his promises. I mean, when he, when he said, when he, when he talked about the, the council, um, that he was going to convene this sort of uh, neutral council on disinformation stuff. I mean, I thought that that was a good idea, theoretically. Um, but of course, he, you know, he threw it right out the window. Um, and of course, so. it would depend on who he put on that council. Of course, yeah. So I have a question about the reinstated and banned accounts that he's brought back, people like Donald Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Are there any new rules for those type of users or is it the same rules? And and um, I'm wondering if you have any kind of idea about why um, Trump hasn't come back to Twitter yet. 
Yeah. So two things. Um, one, there are there are actually just fewer rules, right? So when Marjorie Taylor Greene was banned, I, I believe she was banned for COVID misinformation or something about the vaccine. Um, you know, uh, just today it was announced that they're no longer policing COVID misinformation um, and a lot of other things. Like they're just th so there's just way less guardrails um, for these accounts to reviolate. Um, it's a pretty it's pretty much kind of a, a free for all right now. Um, and in terms of Trump, um, you know, Trump has this deal with Truth Social. I think Elon needs Trump a lot more than Trump needs Elon. Um, and Trump is, you know, he's he has a financial interest in um, promoting Truth Social and kind of keeping keeping everything there. Trump and Elon have definitely, you know, sparred. And so I don't I, I think that Trump is likely concerned about returning because it looks like he's cowing to Elon. I see. And so at the beginning of the the episode, we talked a little bit about just the people who have been fired. Are you able to quantify how many employees are gone or how many remain at this point? Well, uh, during the big layoffs a couple weeks ago, I believe they laid off around 3,700 people. Um, but then since then, they've laid off more. So it's definitely in the thousands. I think Twitter was around 7,000 employees or something before. Um, it's over half the company. Um, and But we don't know. I, we don't know exactly how many people remain. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to what you said about content moderation and the fact that there's really almost no guardrails anymore. Uh, I mean, it's very scary to me um, that they're not moderating COVID information, for example, because that means that anyone, and particularly now that you won't be able to tell who's really verified and who is just a paid verification, meaning that they have no particular knowledge or skills or they haven't been vetted, they can post anything and then people won't know what's true and what's not. And so that is very scary. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I actually, the COVID misinformation thing, I actually agree with his decision on that. Um, and here's why. I think, you know, content disinformation, policing disinformation and misinformation is really hard to do in any kind of situation where news is rapidly evolving mm -hmm. and it's very complex. And so I wrote a story just several months ago about how, how actually very frequently Twitter was... Um, was policing and removing and banning the accounts of people spreading legitimate information about COVID, factual information. Mm. So they were kind of bad at policing it anyway. Theoretically, Jill, you're right. We should have, you know, trusted sources and stuff. But I think it's just when you see things rapidly evolve um, and change. And, you know, a good example of this is, is this lab leak theory, right? That Fauci right. just right. said on cable TV that he's, open to, right? That That's something that you could have, you know, was considered disinformation just a year ago. So I think you see things like that, of see people's consensus or openness or willing to debate something evolve. Now, in terms of that theory, I actually don't think there's any new information or who knows, right? But like, it's just a good example of things that are in the debate realm. Policing that is hard. Right. Um, but there's a difference between Dr. Fauci, who is verified and who is a source of more reliable information and the fake accounts of you name it, Dr. Smith, who isn't Absolutely. a doctor at all and without verification and no policing, aren't you in trouble? And, and I don't mean to limit it to COVID. I'm talking about right. all the other things that could be misinformation, pedophiles Absolutely. and things. 
Absolutely. And I will say too, I think what's, what's, what's so hard about, you know, especially health misinformation is as we saw with Donald Trump, right? You can find a doctor to say almost anything, right? Look at the frontline. Um, I think it's like the frontline doctors America or whatever. It's the basically disinformation group, right? That was pushing ivermectin and other stuff. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky, but I think it's, we're in the, the, to roll, to roll back those, protection, sort of roll back all of these moderation efforts along with the verification, it's a disaster. I mean, it's so the, a mess. The people who are quitting as opposed to having been randomly fired or targeted for firing, um, are they quitting because of that email that he sent to all employees that said that they had to commit to his Twitter 2.0 mission and be extremely hardcore or they should leave the company? Is, is that why they're leaving? And then I've heard um, employees complain that they've been working 75 hours a week. And um, I'm just wondering if that's the issue or it's just the craziness that's going on and that there aren't enough people to do the assigned tasks to even provide basic services anymore. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's just not enough people to kind of do basic functions of the site. And so you have people trying to do, you know, one person trying to do 10 people's jobs, basically. Um, that's a recipe for burnout. Also, there's no product roadmap or strategy. And, you know, people that work at Twitter, this is like a mainstream tech company. These are some of the best product and engineering people and marketing people. And you know, there's really smart people that work there. They have job options, a lot of them. So unless they're tied by a visa or, you know, some extenuating mm -hmm. circumstance, or very loyal to Elon, they're not going to, they don't, why would they stay in that environment where you're working like crazy and there's no strategy or vision? So before we get to talking about what are the alternatives to people who are starting to flee um, Twitter for a variety of reasons, let's talk about, first of all, no one thinks it's perfect, but it does have 400 million plus users and obviously that means they recognize that there are some benefits, some value to the Twitter platform. What are the things that people say are the most wanted features, the things that they would want in an alternative uh, platform? Well, one thing that Twitter always was good about was true free expression, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, if you go on Instagram and you say, ha ha, I want to kill myself, right? Joking about something. You can get your, your account can be banned overnight. Instagram is so strict. Facebook products are so strict. They've cracked down so hard on mm. um, speech and, and all of that stuff. And so it's, you know, Twitter was this really amazing bastion of, um, I mean, look, it was toxic. I, I've been, I know, I'm not, you know, saying it's not, but it was a place where you could express yourself and communicate in ways that were almost impossible to do on other social platforms. Um, it's text based. You know, if you think of things like TikTok or Instagram, things like that, it's much harder to be anonymous. Um, they're very, they push you to do video and more visual focused things. So Twitter is great for anonymity. It's great for news. It's great for breaking news, right? There's no, Twitter's relevance came from its user base of powerful, influential people, um, whether that's journalists, media people, um, academics, right? Like members of Congress, right. those people are not directly communicating with anyone anywhere else. So, you know, we'll see if somebody can rebuild that network effect um, and keep it entertaining. Because the thing is, it's not just the congressman pe people like that, right? There's also right. weird Twitter and Lil Nas X and people like that, right? Like we need that part of Twitter too, for it to feel vibrant and- for The dodo is my favorite. <laughs> 
Oh, the animal site? <laughs> of course. So I, I have a question about, I mean, the users of Twitter now, I mean, is, does it tend to skew older in generation or younger? I mean, who uses Twitter nowadays? And is that different from when it first started? Because when I talk to my friends, it seems like not many young people use Twitter all that much these days. Yeah, young people certainly do not use Twitter these days. Um, not not anything in the way that that most people use it. It is an older user base compared to something like TikTok. I think TikTok really fills the need. Um, it, it's that's. I mean, TikTok has just become so ascendant that it's scooped away a lot of younger users from Twitter. And that look, if you want to go to debate something, talk about something, you're going to go to TikTok over Twitter usually if you're a young person, um, because you know. It's it's more engaging, um, but but you know it's not like Twitter's user base is Facebook where it's they're all aging out completely. It's just it tends to um, it tends to attract more adults, right? Like like um, working people like um, that are interested in politics and news and all of those things. Yeah, I, I want to ask you about a story that you recently wrote for the Washington Post. And um, it's basically about how Elon Musk is reinstating all of these banned Twitter accounts. I, the one question I have is like, how concerned should we be about this, that he's reinstating these banned Twitter accounts? And do you think that Twitter is going to collapse anytime soon? Yeah, um, I think it's very concerning. Um, you know, I quoted a lot of experts in um, online safety and disinformation, um, and it's it's very worrying. Um, I think these accounts were banned for a reason. You know, I have a stalker, for instance, that set up hundreds of accounts. And, you know, he mm -hmm. set up this one hate account about me that got tens of thousands of followers. And that account is mm -hmm. probably going to be reinstated, right? And used to drive oh, online harassment. That's dangerous. Yeah. And these other accounts they were doing really bad things. They were suspended for a reason. So I know he's desperate for users, so he's bringing them back, but I think it will have a negative effect on the platform. Um, I don't think, to answer your second question, that Twitter's going away anytime soon. I mean, Elon has so much money. He can keep this thing going. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to crater overnight by any means. Okay. Let's go back to the features. You were talking about things that people liked. What are the things that are most complained about about um, Twitter? Yeah, I think the biggest problem with Twitter, and I wrote a piece um, several months ago as well about like why all the celebrities pretty much left Twitter and high profile people continue to leave Twitter, is online safety and online harassment. So, you know, I I I think policing harassment is really hard um, to do at scale, but I think it's really important to empower users to allow them to create their own experience, right? Sometimes you want to go on Twitter and you want to get messy and hear what everyone says, right? Or, or you know, in, involve yourself in, in the daily drama. That's fine. Sometimes you want a more closed experience. So for instance, the ability to post to friends only um, or mutuals only or limit quote tweets or limit responses. Like these are all really important ways to customize your experience to make sure that you feel safe and you feel comfortable interacting in whatever you know, however much you want to interact. Um, Twitter's just notoriously been bad at that. They were making improvements, right? Like turning off replies to posts. That's a great improvement for safety. Um, but Musk, you know, Musk doesn't care about any of that. So it's kind of all gone out the window. And I think if anything will continue to get worse. Um, so I, I could imagine them losing a lot of users for that. I, I, they are. I mean, I can see people leaving in droves. Um, you know, people will post saying, please let me know where you're going to be when you leave Twitter so that I can continue to follow you on another platform. 
Um, and I watch my Twitter follower numbers go down by, you know, 5,000 a day kind of thing. It's, it's significant. Um, and that makes it look like, uh, Elon is failing, but I'm wondering if he's failing because his ideas are bad or because he's just a bad manager and a bad leader or, or maybe I both. both. I think it's very much both. I mean, this is a man that has no experience running consumer social products, which are notoriously difficult. So, and, he, and he's completely red-pilled, by the way, too. He's also believing crazy conspiracies. So who knows what his right. media diet is like? Well, his own posts are concerning to me. I mean, it's, he's not someone whose posts I would follow or read because they're all goofy, crazy, and wrong. I mean, usually factually not based on anything. So I mean, that Nancy Pelosi story, he, sh he shared a yeah. wild conspiracy about a leading member of Congress's right. partner. That's really concerning. Yeah. yeah. I, what is uh, Jack Dorsey now doing? I mean, he's now no longer at Twitter and, and maybe anyone else who was at Twitter who kind of actually had leadership skills. Are, are they up to anything that is um, good now or, or have they explored other platforms? They have not. Uh, Jack has, you know, said that he has full support and faith in Elon. So Jack and Elon seem aligned. They, they seem aligned. Um, Jack's certainly not, you know, building anything. Uh, uh, you know, he wants to do his blue sky thing or whatever, you know, but he's not like he's not he, he's he turned the reins over to Elon and seems fine with it. Um, and other leaders at Twitter, I mean, Parag, like they've they've left and they don't, I don't I haven't heard of them trying to do anything. I think they're just trying to get their tens of millions of dollars payout. And then, you know, who knows what they'll be up to next. Well, maybe they'll be looking at some of the other platforms that we want to talk to you about. Um, yeah. and either creating ones that we haven't heard of yet or joining to help the new ones that are starting up um, get to be as effective on the good side. Uh, and maybe they'll listen to you about what was good and what needs to be changed. Um, I, I think a lot of people, as I said, are leaving. Mastodon and Post are two of the big platforms that I've been hearing about. Um, can you talk about those two and well, whether you think they have the features that will make them successful as a replacement? Yeah. So right now, the main competitor to Twitter is Mastodon, um, which is significantly, significantly bigger than Post or any, really anything. I mean, Mastodon is like the main competitor. Um, and then Hive, I guess, right after that. Um, so Mastodon is, um, you know, an open source kind of version of Twitter. No, it's, it's um, which means that it's like everybody sort of has their own instances or servers um, that you sign up under, almost like email. I could have a, a Gmail address, right? And email you at Yahoo. Um, so once you're on it, it's, it feels like Twitter. It just doesn't have any of the functionality. It feels like Twitter, honestly, in like 2011. You can't <laughs> quote tweet. You can't, the search is really bad. If you're on a different server, it's really hard to find and follow people that are on a different server than you. So it's, it just, it, it, it's like a very archaic version of Twitter link. There's no link previews. Um, so you know, they weren't prepared for this. Mastodon launched back in, I believe it was 2016. Um, and it was, it was meant to be this, yeah, this open source version, but I think there's no, you know, it, they're, they're very strapped. It's a lot of volunteers just kind of putting it together. It is, yeah. it is a little similar to Twitter in a lot of ways. You mentioned post as well. Um, I, I, let me stop you about uh, Mastodon first, because 
I am now on both Mastodon and Post. Um, I've been on Mastodon for maybe a week and Post for a day. Um, but I'm having trouble on Mastodon even trying to figure out how to find people who reply or do something with what I post. So I'm posting, but I, it's like going into this black hole. What am I missing oh, here? You should just be clicking on the replies column, um, just the way that you do on Twitter. So there's, um, you know, you'll see right here, there's yeah. home search, and then you'll see where the, the bell is. That's the notification. Okay. So that's oh. all your reply. All right. I'm, I'm going to, I'll try it. Um, I, I found post just seemed more inherently easy and more yeah. intuitive to yeah, me. I agree. Post, I mean, post does seem cleaner and, and kind yeah. of, even though it's in the beta version, but it seems cleaner and, and more user-friendly to me. Yeah. 100%. But you guys, one is a consumer social app founded by a former tech CEO. And one yeah. is like an open source, like pirate ship built by yeah. random developers around the world. So, you know, I agree with you, Mastodon is, is, and then there's Hive. Um, so Hive has actually gotten, I think it's over a million users recently. Hive is a place that it looks like fandoms are going. I don't even believe that you can share links on Hive, um, mm. but they did, they have seen a huge bump. Um, it's very similar to Twitter, but it, I don't think you can share links and it's more around like fandom and art and things like that. And then Tumblr also has gotten a boost, but Post has um, captured a, a very specific part of Twitter. Um, very well. And so I think it's gotten some sort of some key thought leaders in specific areas um, because Kara Swisher has, you know, is advising it and promoting it. Scott Galloway invested in it. So of course he's using his podcast to pump it. Um, and so I think it, they've captured their followers. I mean, it seems like one of the big things with like platforms is just how to limit those just really vicious accounts. Do you think Post is doing a good job of that? Um, with oh, I mean, no, I, Post doesn't have any blocking ability you can't limit replies which is a huge 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 oversight huge yeah, problem yeah. it's my opinion that it is completely irresponsible to scale an app without safety features and that's something i was very vocal about with clubhouse too mm -hmm. ironically post you know went to andreessen horowitz for investment andrew chen yeah. looks like he led the deal um that's the same guy that did the clubhouse stuff right and clubhouse had really you know major issues around safety. So um, I think it's very worrying that they haven't instituted safety features and that that's not immediately what they're doing. I mean, limiting replies and blocking people, you shouldn't be letting people into your platform until you have those safety features because some of the people you could be letting in, as we've seen, are trolls and harassers yeah. that are there simply to cause chaos. So I'm sure it's something that they're working on. I, I'm also sympathetic to the fact that, you know, the CEO is scrambling and having to navigate a lot. I think he's doing his own comms too, which is always a disaster. Oh, uh, yeah. Startup CEO. <laughs> um, it's, I, I saw him, he replied to me, his response was not good. And then he replied to someone else. And I, I, I was a little sympathetic because I can't imagine what it's like running a company and then having journalists yeah. on there, you know, asking you the hard questions. Like it, it's not easy. So We'll see. Well, he's a very, he's a very he's a very popular. You know, people like that guy. Um, Gnome. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. He's the guy who created Waze, right? Yeah, he was the CEO of Waze. Yeah. And I did ask around, you know, in sort of Silicon Valley circles about him, and and people had positive things to say about mm -hmm. him. So, so we'll see. I mean, but I don't know. There's also 
you know, I don't know if you guys saw on, on Twitter, but there was that screenshot of how they had, you know, you can't bully people based on their net worth. And we want, you know, we don't want the loud, you know, fringes. And you saw people of color saying that's not very inclusive. And what do you mean fringes, right? I mean, social justice issues are important and we need a place to talk about that. And so I think that's a concern. And people have found the same thing on Mastodon because Mastodon has all these sort of community guidelines on different servers that people don't like abiding by. And I think that that people are going to see that Twitter was the one place that you could really have these free and open yeah. discussions. It's very hard to find someone on Mastodon, even though supposedly you can find people on any of the uh, platforms they're on. Um, and there, there is no good description of the platforms. So I picked ohi.social. Why? I don't know, because it just seemed the most broad, harmless description of any of them. And it was in English. Many of them are not in English. Um, but I had no particular reason for picking that. It makes no sense. Um, I, the word Ojai to me meant a spa in California. There's a spa called Ojai. But, you know, so that was good. But it's just not making sense to me. Um, Whereas, as Victor even agreed, posts seemed uh, intuitive to me. It just felt like I could manage it easily. Um, Oh, sorry. No, I was just gonna say, I'm glad to hear about these other, you know, hive I hadn't heard of. So that's good to know about. Um, And is there any restrictions on membership in hive? No, but again, you can't share links and it's very, it's, mm. it's also, it has a lot of key flaws. I think all of these products have different flaws, right? Oh. Um, I think posts need safety features. Also, I think we'll see, I, I think having your lead investor, your initial investor is Andreessen Horowitz. This, you know, Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz have been very open about their ideological views. And, you know, Mark Andreessen specifically has a long history of pretty viciously harassing women journalists specifically. Oh, I mean, I've yeah. had it happen to myself to go and solicit money from him out of all the other investors. I, I just wonder, and by the way, this is a man that wants to dismantle the media and mm. that's concerning. I, I think it, it's raising a lot of red flags and, you know, look, there's a lot of amazing companies that have taken Andreessen Horowitz money and, and have, walked the line very well. I think Substack does a good job of that, um, you know, but but I think we'll, we'll see how the platform develops. I think with something like Clubhouse, right, it just became a platform for harassment and abuse. Um, so I, I really hope that that Post does not. So talk about Substack. Um, is that a social media platform? I only know it as a place where I get uh, some very good nightly newsletters. Newsletters, yeah. Yeah, well, they're actually adding a lot more social features. So um, to kind of also, again, capture more of that Twitter user base. So um, you have the chat feature now. So people who have Substack newsletters can start chats with mm-hmm. their subscribers, um, which is a way to kind of have conversations around things. Um, they're building in better discovery so that there's more like, you know, sort of ability to um to find the people that you want to find. And then they're ha- they have podcasting and all this other stuff now. And then you see the big platforms, right? Like LinkedIn and others that are trying, that are wow. like, Hey, Instagram, come over here. Right. Like you can do what you're doing over there, over here. You mentioned something about Instagram that um, I-, I wasn't sure about, which is to me, you can only post on Instagram if you have a picture to attach. 
there's no way to put just text. Is that, am I wrong on that? Um, yeah, no, you can post on text through create mode. Um, so it's going to make a graphic with text, just a, sort of a solid background with text on it. Um, that's called Instagram create mode. And you can certainly just ah. post, I mean, a lot of people just post long, long captions and long words. Okay, I'm going to have to check that out because I've, I've only used it when I have a picture that I can post and it's not, that limits my use of it if I want to say is, something about the news. Well, it is very, it is that it is, you know, you still, even Instagram create mode is creating that graphic right. that yeah, you're but, still there. Um, and, and I think the algorithmic feed and just the, the, I mean, Instagram, I hate to use the word censorship because I think it's bad, but it's, it's, it's the moderation is so heavy handed on Instagram. You, right. it's very hard to discuss. I mean, activists talk about it all this time. It's very hard to discuss news and current events. Mm. So you also cover TikTok extensively, and um, it seems to be a place, I think that really speaks to Gen Z and offers a great place to consume news. But at the same time, there's also a lot of misinformation and hate. And I know you've covered um, libs of TikTok quite a bit. Um, talk to us about TikTok and, and what you've learned from reporting and, and being on it. Yeah, I think TikTok is kind of the natural successor to Twitter in a lot of ways. It kind of takes Twitter and YouTube commentary culture and combines them. Um, which is a toxic combination. Um, as you said, misinformation is rife. Um, as I wrote about recently, um, you know, people are very primed to believe content they see on TikTok because it's this like very personal medium where you can see people's face, right? It's not just like you're seeing a disinformation link on Facebook. You're actually hearing it from a person, which is way more compelling. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just zero media literacy among anyone in this country. So people just believe everything. Um, but I think TikTok's a really good place because of the lack. It's it's not a follower-based model. It's all algorithmic discovery. It's, you know, it's constantly showing you new content. You're exposed to new things. Um, it's, a, it's a place where people go to discuss and debate things in a way that's very similar to Twitter. So tell me what you mean by how it's a discovery-based thing. I'm, I'm of an age that I have never been on TikTok. I have seen TikTok videos posted on Twitter, but I've never actually... I don't have a Twitter, a TikTok account. Uh, so tell me a little more about that for people my generation. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, I mean, so the way that you consume content on TikTok is primarily through this thing called the For You page. So you open it up and it's a full screen video. Um, and that video that you watch and then you can flip to the next one, all of those videos that you're being served are being served to you through by an algorithm. It really doesn't matter who you follow on TikTok. Hmm. You can follow someone on TikTok and then you can see them in this following feed and and you can that's a signal to the for you page that you want to see them but it's not everything. You constantly are seeing people that you don't follow. So there's a lot of discovery there. Um whereas Instagram and and Twitter and stuff it puts so much burden on the user to go and seek right. people out. And then you subscribe to every one of the of their posts which you don't want. And so you know, the algorithmic discovery uh, stuff on TikTok is just obviously the future. That's obviously a better way to deliver content. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, for me, I get the tweets from the people I follow because I've selected them as reliable sources of information. Yes. And I want to see what they have to say, as opposed to the people who have posted things that I would never want to see. Um, well, so that's what's so good about TikTok's algorithm. They are only delivering you things. I mean, that's what's made them so successful mm -hmm. is, 
you know, they can look at you, Jill, and they can do a very good job of delivering you content that you It's do. very creepy. <laughs> it's it's very, they're very good at that. I so you're not especially creepy because who owns them? Isn't it the Chinese government? No, it's ByteDance, no? um, which is a Chinese company, which well, obviously, you know, there's concerns there. I will say their data is not, our U.S. data is not uh, stored in China. So Where talk about- it it's I can't remember, but that was like a big uh, it's some it's some other country. And they there's a firewall like there is a, the, you know, ByteDance when Trump was considering banning it, um, you know, there's a ByteDance kind of refuted that by putting in place a lot of data protections and stuff like that for us. So Jill and I were both um, very passionate about something that you just mentioned, which is news literacy. And um, first, I think across just all generations, this is something that's really lacking, especially for young people who are growing up in this digital space that we're, we have a lot of social media platforms. What do you think it'll take for people to become more aware of misinformation, how to spot it, news literacy, um, media literacy? What will it take? I think it needs to be taught young and um, it needs to be taught. I mean, it, it's very hard to teach people media literacy once they're already acclimated to certain habits. Yeah. So I think teaching people as young as possible, the difference in most people, the majority of people don't know the difference between an opinion article and an actual news article. Wow. They can't yeah. distinguish that. So, you know, it's very scary. And I think the way that, that schools are being so politicized now, especially like the public education system, I don't see this happening anytime soon. So I think we and the media are, are and, and sort of anyone with a platform has a duty to kind of try and educate at least their followers, um, or at least the people that, that listen to them about, you know, how to recognize disinformation. That's such an interesting topic. And Victor and I are planning to have a guest on the show who either the person who wrote the book or the person who recommended the book to me, which is a children's book. And I was just going to try to look up the name of it. I think it has the name underwear in it. Do you remember the name, Victor? I don't um, know. Um, and, and I've read the book. It's a, a graphic novel for children telling them exactly what you're saying. This is opinion. This is fact. This is how you tell the difference. This is how you can check sources. This is, and it is intended for very young children. And the librarian um, who is an author of children's books um, who recommended this to me said it's really intended for the very young. And we've had this conversation with other uh, columnists and journalists about how to communicate facts, how to teach people when something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And you better think about it. Uh, and we've all gotten caught. I've retweeted something and then I go, wait a minute, <laughs> I better check that out. And then you check it. And of course, it's not real. It's fake. It's too good to be true. Um, and so even I, who try to be careful, get caught. And so everyone's going to get caught. But that's one of the most important things that could be taught in grade school now. I, I think is how to discern truth from fiction in the era where we're being bombarded with all kinds of information that may or may not have any basis in fact. So mm -hmm. it, it's, it's very troubling. I'm, I'm going to try to find the name of this book. Um, 
it's uh, it I mean, I was high. actually I, when you mentioned like getting children started now. I mean, I, I actually the other day I saw um Casey Neistat and he has these and he has a seven year old I think and another um kind of young child. I don't know the age of the other one, but they were all on iPads and I'm like, how early do you have to start these children? Because I, I feel like the younger generations are starting to be online and and on you know with screens when they're like seven, five. I don't know. Um, can I think you start as them soon as of course, as soon, I mean, you should start them as soon as they're, they're, they're tiny. I mean, as soon as you can yeah. communicate with them, you should be helping them understand how to navigate the world and information, right? Just the way that you would say, Hey, if a stranger comes up to you, you know, yeah. don't listen to them. It's like, if you see somebody right. telling you something, you know, don't always believe it, like question, you know, and here's how to find that information. And I mean, the sad fact is, though, is that most parents can't discern what's yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. this this book is understandable by adults. And the name of it is Killer Underwear Invasion. The author is Elise Gravel or Gravel. I don't know how G-R-A-V-E-L Killer Underwear Invasion. And I, I'm recommending it to anyone who's interested in trying to discern how to get younger people and adults, because you're right, if parents can't do it, they aren't going to be able to teach their children um, how to tell what's real and what's not real. And we shouldn't have to check everything out on Snoops or any other site, but that's also not a bad backup. When you hear something, maybe check it out before you actually start taking action on it. When you hear that you can take drink bleach, maybe you better check that out first somewhere. Yes, 100%. <laughs> Taylor, we thank you so much for coming on today and, and walking us through Twitter and, and other platforms. And um, we know that we will definitely be reading more of you. So thank you for coming on and, and shedding light on this. Thank you. Well, I'm on every one of the platforms that we mentioned today. So just follow me at Taylor Lorenz. <laughs> and we will include those okay. in our show notes for sure. So, Jill, um, I know there is a lot to cover. And and first of all, I mean, I learned a lot about just platforms and, and social media companies in general. I know we both got approved on posts the other day. And um, should we talk a little bit about our experience on other platforms and, and what that's been like and what we think Twitter has brought to our lives? Oh, yes. Well, let me start with Twitter, which... Yeah. Um, I find to be a wonderful place for great conversations. And uh, I accept DMs from anyone. I don't limit my DMs to people I follow. And yes, I get a lot of, hi, hello, beautiful. I want to marry you. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I don't know who thinks that that's an effective strategy. But I also get a lot of really good information from people. Um, and other tweets that I would be interested in. I get referrals to articles and um, uh, stories that I'm interested in from my listeners, uh, from my followers. And I really like having the dialogue. I, I really, I do it myself. I don't have someone else who answers for me. And I try to read as many as I can of replies or comments um, and I enjoy it a lot. I haven't been bothered until recently by some of the more hateful things. There are some MSNBC shows that when I appear on, I get more hate mail. 
um, than any other. But putting that aside, I find it to be really wonderful. And I love the idea that maybe we could take all the best features of Twitter and get rid of the worst ones and combine them with the best features of other platforms. Um, I'm based on what I heard today. I'm going to sign up for TikTok and see if there is some way. I mean, I'm not going to be dancing. I'm not going to be singing. I don't know exactly how I will communicate on TikTok. So um, I, so I actually have a TikTok account. I don't, I don't post any videos. But I think if you're on TikTok, Jill, we should create AI Gen Politics TikTok, and maybe we can do some uh, fun videos that way. I don't expect you to be dancing or singing either, because I no. know you well enough <laughs> to know this is not an age generation difference. This is you and I are the same on this. And <laughs> I, 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 when I was in grade school. For my eighth grade graduation, the teacher told me to mouth the words to my school song so that I wouldn't throw everyone off key. And that has ruined my life. I mean, in college, when there were beach parties and people would you know, play guitar and folk singing was popular, I would mouth the words because I was embarrassed to sing. I mouth the words to the Star Spangled Banner because I'm embarrassed the people around me will hear me. So except in a car with my husband, I never sing. And it's really, you know, my, my, my dream is I want to be Bette Midler. I want to get on a stage and just sing and dance and yeah. take over. That'll never happen. I mean, I have, um, you know, I I've done the sexy liberal show, um, which is way out of my, uh, league the stephanie miller which is a yep, comedy yep. show and i'm like what am i doing here this is not me i'm not funny so i don't know how <laughs> successful i would be on tiktok but i you know you know me i'm i'm always game for a challenge are, yes game for a challenge yes i i've never had that happen to me before but i'm the same way where i just refuse to dance or um <laughs> uh sing because i feel like my body just doesn't move that way um <laughs> so we both move better than Donald Trump, though. Yes, that is very true. His <laughs> dancing is, um, no, <laughs> definitely not. Um, but, I mean, hopefully, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I think Twitter, like you said, it's offered some great services. I think it's a great place to find community and, you know, barring all those vicious DMs and right-wing trolls on Twitter, I think it's a pretty good place to consume news. I think a lot of, you know, it's a great place for journalists to spread their reporting and, and make us aware of it. I think it's a great place for academics too to make their research known and to interact with each other so i think there are a lot of pluses and, and so you know i'm really hoping and i am comforted that taylor thought that twitter wasn't going to collapse anytime soon so fingers crossed but in the meantime i mean we're on other platforms in case it does collapse and right. um, if we are on tiktok you will all be the first to know so that you can go follow us and, and watch our content there right i i guess my best hope for twitter is that either Elon Musk sells it to someone else or gives it away to someone yeah, yeah. to save it from bankruptcy and from his destructive tendencies. Um, I, I don't know what he was thinking. I, I know that the tweets that I have seen from him, uh, which are mostly forwarded to me, not, I'm not following him, um, are really not my own political views and are usually disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. Reflect a a negative point of view that I don't share, um, so I'm I'm hoping that's not what takes over on Twitter. 
I would like to see it survive. I, I yeah. have really enjoyed it. I've loved getting to know. I mean, and you really do get to know the people yeah, who yeah. follow you. It's quite amazing. They're very passionate. Love it. I love it. I mean, I, I remember when I was trying to get a hundred followers <laughs> and then someone started a campaign to get me to a thousand. Wow. And then all of a sudden it was a hundred thousand and then two, three, four, five. And now I'm going down. I mean, I was at like 650,000 and now I'm below 600. Um, so that's distressing to me. And I, I know it's not, I don't think it's because I've done anything. I think it's because no, people are just leaving the platform because they are writing to say, I'm sorry, but I'm leaving. I hope I'll find you somewhere else. And yeah. um, so I'm staying at Jill Wine Banks. Yes. And our Twitter usernames are in uh, either right next to our names right now. Yes. So go yes. follow us while you can. And thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of iGen Politics with Taylor Lorenz. We hope you learned a little bit about uh, all these sorts of platforms and what your options are. Uh, we hope to find you on one of them and interact with you. So be sure to uh, leave us a you know comment or let us know what you think of this episode on Twitter or any other platform that you're on. You can also subscribe to us and let us know what you think on this YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash Politicon. Uh, we're here every Tuesday with a new episode of iGen Politics. Be sure to like this video, subscribe, and uh, make sure that you click the bell for our weekly notifications. We thank you again for watching and we'll see you next week. Bye.